Welcome to EduBlether, a podcast discussing the hot issues in Scottish education. In this episode, we discuss reading for pleasure and how to encourage young people to read more. We've got an interview with David Keat, a primary teacher who is passionate about children's literature. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or Pinterest. You can also read our blog at edublether.wordpress.com. And every Tuesday, we host an Edublether live chat on Twitter with the following episodes coming up on Learner Participation on the 7th of May, Outdoor Learning on the 14th of May and on the 21st of May, Play, hosted by At Early Years Ideas. If you would like to host an Edublather live chat, then get in touch with us and we will book you in every Tuesday from 8 until 9pm. So, how have things been going with you, Jace? What's new? Yeah, it's been good. It's, uh, we've had the holidays, which is always nice, yeah. um, back at school, and this is probably a nicer term, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got more free time because exam week. Ah, oh, yeah, for secondary teachers, this is a bit of a different term, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so this is traditionally the term where there's loads of time, but actually the reality is not like there's that because time, we yeah. cram everything in and we have this idea that there's loads of time at this time of year. Um, so most of the month of May is spent on doing things like ERDs, so reviewing professional learning, um, school improvement planning, um, everything to get set up for the year ahead or things that you've not managed to quite get to mm. are done during the next month or so. It's so interesting, the difference there, because it's completely different in a primary school. This term is a very, very busy term okay. for us. There's so many things to do. So it's busy. I wouldn't say it's not busy. It's just well, uh, busy basically, with Basically what you said things. is you're doing nothing. No, I didn't say that. Coffee I did. well, <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> Whereas us primary school teachers are working very hard. Yeah, so I didn't say, just to be clear, um, I just think it's just different. A different term, yeah, it's yeah. a different, it's an, an interesting transitional term. Isn't yeah, it? and yeah. obviously we're planning for the year ahead, we've got transition planning, so our primary sevens will come mm. up in June, um, so we're planning for that, we're planning for a new timetable, mm-hmm. so it's all about kind of planning and preparation for changes ahead. And it's only eight weeks until summer now. This term's going to go very, very fast. It's going to fly by. Yeah, it? it is. Um, I have been in the in the Easter holidays, uh-huh. um, inspired by we we had a, an Age of Blether live chat about um, reading for pleasure. Okay. Um, and I've been reading lots of children's literature. Good stuff. I'm reading lots of really good. Um, what what one thing has stuck out for you? What what one. Um, One book. book. Oh, there was a fantastic book, um, The Boy at the Back of the Class, and it was about um, a Syrian refugee who joins a younger class. Um, I think he's about seven, and he joins the class, and the whole story is told through the eyes of a seven-year-old girl who's experiencing some of the hostility towards him, some of that kind of fear and anxiety towards having refugee in the class and she her sort of naive or innocent take on it is just so beautiful and refreshing and it's so well written it's funny it's exciting it's great and I, I would recommend it I mean it's a must read for I mean primary school teachers it's a fantastic book to read to your class I'd say uh, kind of primary five six or seven okay. class Sounds um, good. 
Oh, it's brilliant. Wonderful. Yeah, just just really good. And I think it's really exciting to talk to um, David Keat, who we've got as uh, an interview with this, mm-hmm. this, in, in, in this episode. And he just recommends so many fantastic books as well. So it's just, there's. I think it's very much a golden age for children's literature at mm-hmm. the moment, which is why we've decided to do a podcast all about reading for pleasure Sounds and trying to get good. young people to read more. And we've also had... Um, quite a, an interest in our Edu Blether live chats They've been well, going very well. really good um, really enjoyed some of the topics that we've covered over the last um, couple of weeks we had a one week break for the Easter holidays um, but we've covered uh, lesson observations and that was a really really good um, engaging session mm-hmm. um, what else have we done? we've had a teacher agency yep. and empowerment yeah. empowerment mm-hmm. yeah Reading for pleasure was was a was a really good chat to have as well. Um, I can't remember what else we've had since then. That was it. And I think that's been us. Yeah. And there was the break as well. So that's us over the last. So yeah, time. we'd be really keen to hear from you. Um, just direct messaging us on Twitter, or you can email us. Details are on our website, edubleather.wordpress.com. We would love if you would get involved and be part of. And what we're trying to do at Edge of Blether, and that's just to get people talking about education. Yeah, having a blather. Absolutely. So the news for this episode. So what's been happening then? Well, I think um, it's news that doesn't feel like news in any shape or form at all because it's it's been happening for a year. Yeah, <laughs> but if the, not longer. If not longer, <laughs> yeah. The the official. Um, acceptance and recognition of the Teacher Pay Award mm-hmm. has been um, accepted, and that is official now. This is this is been agreed upon. And yeah. all the details of which have been. So that's been quite heavily fought, hasn't it, by the yeah. unions, and that's resulted in a three percent pay rise for all teachers, um, then a further three percent from the first of April this year. Yeah. And backdated as well, um, but on top of that, there's also a four percent increase um, for the structure of our kind of main grade and also um, our promoted post holders. Yeah. Post as well, so it's quite complex. Lots of details to it, but I suppose yeah. essentially, and it, uh, what if, are the every, Everybody figures? will have looked into the figures, but essentially, it's. Three percent from April two thousand and eighteen. Seven mm-hmm. percent, essentially, which is made up of a few sugarly bits, but seven percent mm-hmm. uh, from it's a good April. word, sugarly. <laughs> from April two thousand and nineteen, and then a further three percent from April twenty twenty. So a significant boost for the profession. A really hard fought, quite a divisive mm-hmm. uh, topic, but it feels now that we're able to get to the point. The, the, the other parts of that that pay agreement that, mm-hmm. that are if we're looking at workloads because there was a recommendation uh, to, to, to be working more explicitly on mm-hmm. workload for parties to be working together so there will be a working group that comes out of that to really address the workload of teachers which I think is a really welcome uh, change there and also the, the, the addition of the two in-service days mm-hmm. to be held for next session only, that session, is, isn't it? Yeah, so session 2019-2020 to allow time for schools to focus on key issues such as workload, additional support and empowering schools. And I think that's quite welcome, <coughs> I would say. I mean, obviously that's two less days of young people's education, mm-hmm. but I think that's a really good 
pay off in terms of providing the time because at the moment we have five in service days yeah. throughout the year. Previously, we've had extra in service days when we've looked at curriculum changes within, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the secondary sector, we've had additional in service days to help with the implementation of nationals and tire. Um, so I think this will be welcomed. We're yet to see what that looks like. Is yeah. that going to be time for regional improvement collaboratives? Or is that going to be people within a cluster to meet? Or is that going to be over to teachers to decide in their own schools how they use that time? Yeah. But I, th- I welcome that. I think that would be really good. To I think it's that. a really good thing to have. And I think it just, again, promotes the collaboration and schools becoming learning schools and yeah. lots of opportunity for professional development and more opportunity for that I think is always a, a good thing and actually a lot of the edge of leather live chats that we've had mm-hmm. the common theme that runs throughout this is just we need more time yeah and it just feels really good to know that there is actually two full days worth of time there yeah. so it'll be interesting to follow that quite closely to see exactly how that's going to look and and hopefully it doesn't become an administrative thing or a bureaucratic yeah. thing and it can actually really be focused on as i said that, that that real focus about collaboration professional development and having that opportunity to have that discussion with colleagues yeah. i was fortunate enough um was it last week or the week before um to go along to my internship day at University of Edinburgh, and we had invited along um, John Swinney, the Education do. Secretary. Yeah, just, you know. just invite him along, <laughs> see how well, he yeah. comes up. <laughs> so he was invited along to speak to aspiring head teachers and current head teachers, and it was a very open forum talking about empowerment and collaboration. And what I was very impressed by was his engagement with, with the group, but also his commitment. And and I don't I don't want to get too political on Edge no. because we're not we don't talk about politics and, and we, we fall out when yeah. we talk about politics so let's <laughs> let's not discuss politics. But I was very impressed with um, John Swinney's level of detail, his passion, his commitment to making sure he's getting it right. A number of things we spoke to him about um, that were maybe not quite getting right in education, mm-hmm. and he was listening. He was saying the right things, mm-hmm. I would say, in terms of what I wanted to hear and what other colleagues wanted to hear around empowerment, workload. And he did mention the pay rise and naturally would would want our teachers to welcome that and clearly they have. Yeah. So a really significant um, development for the profession in Scotland, that, that new story there, isn't it? I think Definitely. And it, it's great that you've... Had it straight from the horse's mouth as well, and been able to speak to the man himself. Um, so moving on now to our main feature for for this episode. So this is on pleasure for reading, and yeah. this is pleasure for reading or reading for pleasure. It doesn't really matter which way <laughs> you put it, does it? It's a well, pleasurable not, experience. Absolutely, is that not the same thing? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, let's let's stick with reading for pleasure. Oh, okay, that's okay. that's the kind of agreed. I was going for um, a working title, but hey. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> Jace has pleasure for reading. <laughs> well, the rest of us are reading for pleasure. Yeah, yes. I think it's a it's a really important subject. I think, and it was it was a really well received Edge Blether live chat that we had. Really well, mm-hmm. um, lots of great ideas, really creative ideas about unique and interesting ways to encourage young people to read more because there are 
huge bodies of evidence to suggest that in the, the correlation between reading and academic achievement mm-hmm. and a, a attainment. And I think if the if we as teachers can in, in child, people working with young people, if we can encourage children to read more, to just love that the joy of reading, of being transported to other worlds and meeting other characters and just enjoying that the love of language can do so much for them uh, and I think it was just a really important topic for us to discuss and to see what everybody uh, was doing to encourage that. And your interview with David Keith went really well and I think you will enjoy it so here it is. David, thank you so much for joining us on Edu Blether. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. No, thank you. It's, uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, I must say, it is the first time that I have been allowed to do the podcast on my own. Usually I have my uh, colleague and good friend Jace with me, but I'm flying solo this evening, so... Hopefully, oh, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> hopefully I can manage on my own. <laughs> and nobody will be oh, able sure. to see... I'll be here to keep you company. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) Thanks, David. Um, I'd like to start off interviews with just um, talking about how you've got to where you are now. So I wonder if you could just tell us about your journey in education, as it were, without sounding too cheesy. No, certainly. So um, my journey as a a teacher started um, just over two and a half years ago now. So um, prior to that, I was working in sales, marketing, recruitment roles for five or six years. And those sort of jobs were paying the bills, but I just, you know, I wanted something a little bit more. Um, My um, now wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was um, actually doing teacher training through a sort of uh, skits route, which is uh, sort of initial teacher training. Um, I saw what she was doing and got a sort of um, a vibe that would be something I'd quite enjoy, picked up some work experience um, in a primary school and really decided that it was for me. Um, prior to, um, or sort of subsequently, I um, quit my job, became a, an LSA at a primary school for six months. Um, oh, wow. And I've been at that school ever since. I did the teacher training there and um, NQT last year. So I'm in my sort of second year as a qualified teacher. Excellent. That's great. I, I think... Um... I've worked with a lot of teachers who have been LSAs, or we, we call them PSAs, uh, or, uh, but yeah. it's the, the, the equivalent role. And I think seeing it from that perspective first just makes such a difference, doesn't it? I think it really does, um, particularly, um, I guess it's probably the same in Scotland, but um, with sort of funding issues in the UK system, a lot of the support staff are working directly with children with EHCPs. So yeah. in that role, I was... Um, it's all these acronyms, isn't it? In this, um, in that role, I did work with children with quite specific educational needs, which, are, which I think was, you know, really valuable experience when it then comes to thinking about how to cater for a vast range of different children as a as a class teacher. Well, so so how long have you been teaching, David? So, uh, this is my second year as like a qualified teacher. Last year was my first year with a class. So last year amazing. was NQTA. Amazing, and I think that that's it's all the more amazing to see. Um, so you're you're very visible. You've got a great presence online, on social media, on Twitter, and blogs and things. And mm. it's just amazing to see this passion that you have for it, like the, the that real genuine enthusiasm, that tangible sort of love of the job and 
I think it's it's just fantastic to see. So so well well done well done you. No, <laughs> thank you. And I, I, no, it means a lot. And I think some people maybe see that and wonder uh, wonder quite why I'm so enthusiastic when there are <laughs> imperfections with the role and difficulties with the system. But having worked in a handful of jobs that had their perks, but also loads of downsides. I do think having some experience outside of the school system does give you a little bit of perspective and. It lets you highlight, yes, there are some things that aren't so great about the job, but there's a heck of a lot of things which are awesome, and I just like to, you know, yeah. celebrate those, really. What a lovely message. That's great. That, and what a great way oh, to, to start the interview. That's great. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, so just on that, on that passion and that enthusiasm yeah. that you have, um, and obviously a big part of that is for teaching and for, for the, mm. the role of teaching. I've listened to the, the podcast that you do as well, and that is it comes through oh, in spades you. in terms of like the enthusiasm that you have and the passion for the role. But obviously, a big part of that is about children's literature, uh, and it, yeah. it looks like you read a thousand books a day, like you read <laughs> so much. Uh, can you just talk to us a little bit about kind of how you arrived at that passion? Was that is that something yeah. that's always been there? How did, where does that come from? It's a funny one, really. It's something that I've had a bit of a. Um, I've thought quite a bit about myself um, lately as well. So as an adult, I've been a keen reader. Like um, I'd say in the last decade, I'm 30 now. So since sort of leaving university, I've read a lot of adult fiction. So I was really into like Lee Child, John Grisham, sort of those legal crime fiction stuff. Um, I wasn't reading much children's fiction um, up until about... 15, 16 months ago, I'd say. Um, I was working in schools, but having just started in schools, I was awfully busy with like the training to be a teacher aspect of it, which um, that is a bit of a whirlwind and didn't allow much free time for reading. But I must admit, um, I realised that as a teacher, my subject knowledge and my my knowledge of children's literature was pretty limited um, up to about a year, 18 months ago. So I decided to actively um, actively sort of CPD myself up, I guess, oh, in children's literature. So I've done that at the expense of um, of the adult fiction. Sometimes I miss it, and I'm sure in the holidays I'll uh, try and find a little bit more time for, for other genres. But yeah. I, um, I was always a keen reader as a child. Um, I didn't quite realise how many children's books I... I read when I was growing up until recently, when I've spoken to my parents, when I've um, seen photos of myself reading, when I've looked back at uh, quite how many, you know, I've looked back at sort of classic children's books and seen how many series of books, how many different books I had ticked off as a child. So I think that passion for reading is something I've always had. Um, I think it's something that in the last year... I got a bit of a taste for, and I think I became a little bit more open-minded with um, with types of books. There was books that I um, there was books that I or genres that I would typically not look to read, but I've I've tried to be a bit more open-minded with those. And okay. I think on the back of that, really enjoyed reading children's literature. Oh, great! And I mean, obviously, that must then sort of you must be a biased toward. I suppose it's, it's an interesting one. Like in in teaching, I think this is the beauty of primary teaching and the yeah. fact that children move between lots of different teachers throughout their time at school. Like each teacher has their passion and something that they're really enthusiastic about and the children can see that enthusiasm and that passion. Do you, do you find that has a big impact on your practice, your kind of love of children's literature? Are, are you finding that's, how, are, how is that impacting on the learners themselves? 
without um yeah i mean without sort of blowing my own trumpet i certainly don't want to but the two classes i have taught i think have been classes that have become very very keen readers some children were always keen readers but i do think that that is one aspect i would say of my teaching that i feel does definitely um transfer to the children i think my class would be one of the more enthusiastic classes in the school when it comes to books i think children seeing the books i read speaking to me about the books i read um i think that does have a real widespread impact on them i do some video book reviews and the children watch those i share what i'm reading and the children ask questions about those and it's amazing how if i have shared a book with them um instantly someone will come back the next week having gone and bought that book or borrowed it from the library. I think you can see a direct link between um, adult sharing of books, adult enthusiasm towards books, and children wanting to be a part of that. I think trying to make... But that's the biggest thing I am passionate about, is just making books seem cool. There's so many things... um, so many different things that you can do to try and infuse and engage readers but ultimately i think if books are seen as cool trendy authors are seen as like accessible people i think children will want to be a part of that children are desperately keen to like have physical actual things and i think yes there's so much more to it than actually holding the book or looking at the cover but i think if you can break that stigma about around reading being a chore something you have to do to fill out your homeschool contact book or whatever I think if you can make books something that children actually want to get their hands on, I think that is 50% of the battle. I think that's it, isn't it? And it's it's interesting because I I think that that's um, something that I have and I think that's a big part of that is because of my parents and you were talking there about your childhood as well. I think there's a, a huge amount of that that comes from your experiences as a child, uh, in your childhood. And I suppose mm. we are a big part of providing those experiences for the learners in front of us, especially being primary Definitely. school teachers, do you know? And that's, I think that a big Definitely. part of that is how do we recognise what those barriers are and see what we can do to, to break them down? Because the, the impact of reading more, no matter what that yeah. is, the impact is huge and, and so I, many. I think it's the most important thing in primary school. I know others would argue differently, but I think in terms of the... Um, you know the, the the words that these books expose you to, yeah. the life experiences that you could encounter through a book that you'd never otherwise get to to witness. The just just the the, the lovely messages of sort of PSHE that can be fed through books. I just think it, at that age where children are learning so much about the world, yeah, it's such an advantage to you know layer that up with yeah as I think, much sort of literature as you can i think i think that's a, a really good point and obviously a big part of that that we've kind of spoke about there is just having that that passion that enthusiasm almost modeling that love of reading and mm. i think that's probably the single most important thing but you've you've actually sort of compiled a list that i saw on twitter it's a really excellent list full of great <laughs> ways to just encourage reading more across the school within the class um do you want to talk to us a little bit about that where that came from and why why you thought that you wanted to create a list like that yeah certainly so um as i say i'm in my second year of teaching so there's many more professionals more experienced than me but there's a few things that i've um experienced along the way a few things i've heard and seen at conferences a few things i've seen on twitter and a few things i've probably just 
chanced upon myself and have seemed to work. So I put together a list of like 15 things I thought were vital to um, just to try and create that culture around books. Now, this was a list I actually wrote for myself at the beginning of this academic year because I was really pleased with how my class responded last year from sort of Christmas onwards. I think the love of books built and there was some things that I tried that I just didn't want to forget when it came to having my new class this year. So I wrote this list try to do as much of it as possible every day and then have shared um, shared it online recently. So just running through it quickly, I said number one, and we've touched upon it, lots of excited adult talk about books. If children see adults buzzing about books, they'll naturally want to give it a go. They'll naturally want to find out more and explore those. I said number two, um, sharing blurbs of books and extracts of books. So um, literally just get um, – pick up a book, buzz about it, read the blurb and be like, I'm just going to put that in the book corner. It's amazing how, yeah. how many children are inquisitive enough to want to go and pick that up and find yeah, out yeah. Ooh, a little bit more. It feels a bit special when they see that book singled out. Um, number three, I put comfy reading. That was something that I went to a Teresa Kremen conference sort of open university um, day. Um, and she talked about children just having an opportunity to, to read in comfort, like reading at a desk, um, in an uncomfortable sort of learning position. Mm. That isn't necessarily how people would sort of kick back and read. It certainly isn't how I'd read it at home. And I think trying to create a novelty around children, like linking reading to a comfortable, pleasurable experience rather than um, rather than necessarily seeing it as just learning, which isn't everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. Um, I think that's really powerful. I think making time for the class book every single day, sometimes, and it happens to me, sometimes you miss a day, but not seeing like not having that class book as a sort of last five minutes before the bell goes when people are rushing out, making it important, making it something special that the children look forward to that they see as important as other lessons. Like it's not something that just gets pushed aside if there's something else, you know, that has to be squeezed in the so timetable. Important, isn't it? So important. I think making time for independent reading every day for children, I think they should have that 15, 20 minutes at school that they can read independently. I think it's all good being like, oh, we need children to, to read at home every day to a parent, but we don't know what children's lives are like outside of school. And I think I think that's lazy to just put the onus straight onto parents there and onto children out of school. I think if I can have children in my class doing 15 or 20 minutes of quality reading in school every day, personally, I'm happy with that. If, they, if you can get them hooked in, if they can access the right sort of books and get that buzz for it, then they'll naturally read at home and find loads of opportunities to do it. But I think you've got to got to make that time for reading when you can you can sort of control it because you can't do you can't control them outside of school um talks about making authors real um twitter is a great one for that but there's loads of other ways um, author visits that sort of thing but just showing them that authors are real people and that has a massive impact in the children's writing if they think they can be an author they sort of like talk to them about the backgrounds of authors talk about their stories talk about the editing process that authors go through mm. i think that can be so powerful to children in so many different ways when it comes to like growth mindset dealing with failure just make authors real people, not just the name on a book. Um, again, I talked about making reading cool. Um, you know, not that I'm particularly cool, but sharing pictures of myself <laughs> on holiday reading, yeah. um, sharing pictures of celebrities reading, that sort of thing. Just make it something that's trendy. Make the books cool. Talk about books that are like, you know, with cool front covers. Well, why do we like this? We often, you know, things like um, Against All Gods, Maz Evans, it's got the sort of sprayed edge, like, talk about why we like that why yeah. it's different almost like children love things like playing cards and you know match attacks pokemon cards if they can see books as 
as like cool in the same way they see those things. That is a great start, I think. Yeah. Um, using books, and this is something I've said I've hugely important um, as part of my teaching, is using extracts from actual children's literature in guided reading lessons and using linking them to English units as well. I think if you use extracts from books, children will be really inquisitive. They'll want to find out a bit more about those books, a bit more about those type of books. And I think that can really open their eyes to, to different types of literature, which is really cool. Um, talks about creating opportunities for children to share what they're reading with their classmates. So um, children coming up to the front of the class if they want to and talking about their book, children writing book reviews and sharing them on the... Um, you know, on a display in class, children sitting in pairs and talking about what I've read, what you've read, just creating lots of opportunities for talk about books, um, I think is extremely powerful indeed. Uh, just whizzing straight on. Um, never, this is something I feel so passionate about, and I, th I actually feel passionate about this with um, learning in general, but not dissuading children from giving something a go, even if you know it's too hard for them. I think there's nothing more demoralizing as a child or an adult in being just told you can't do that. And I think that can happen with books. I think yeah. adults can see children pick up a book that is too hard for them, and they know it's too hard for them, and they know they won't properly access it. But just turning them straight off it initially. I think you've got to let children, to some extent, find out for themselves. Um, if they're picking up a book and they don't understand any of the words or they don't understand most of the words, they'll know and they'll slowly work their way back to suitable text. But I don't think you want to destroy that confidence because you never know. You might stretch the child to the right degree. And I think you can really pull a lot out of them by doing that. And I think children can be, feel almost shamed in being the I child agree. that's still on the colour band I, books. And, and I, think, I think if you um, if you do that, it's such a fragile thing taking away yeah. from, from children's sort of desire or want to be reading more. And I think if it's Definitely. if they're wanting to read something, if it's a, a kind of primary three coming to me saying, I'm going to try and read The Lord of the Rings, then I would never yeah. dissuade them from it. But then I would say, right, okay, yeah. so they're interested in fantasy, they're interested, this is where I can guide them. And I suppose it's about being aware of that that kind of ongoing fluid nature of that. Do you know, like I'll quite often pick exactly. up a book. And I think the teacher approach to it, as you say, that word guide is really important. That teacher approach to how to sort of, yes, yeah, steer yeah. children towards suitable text, I think is just really valuable. So yeah, not getting children to sit there for hours reading something they don't understand, but just... Do you, do you know what I mean? Just not totally. like not allowing children to see themselves as a bad reader, because yeah. I think that can be really. No, it's a really harmful. valid point. I like that one. Um, whizzing through, um, walking around school with a book is a massive one. Like I often just like I've got loads of books on my desk, so I'll just often just pick one up if I'm walking. At, you know, if I'm on like break duty or something, yeah. um, I'm not going to be reading it, but it just creates like talk. Like children just see you with a book, they just like wonder. And I just think that's a simple thing that can just create conversation. I quite like being the teacher that's always seen with a Got book. A Such um, a simple win. Yeah. It, it is a simple win. And like someone will talk to you about it and then they might talk to someone else about yeah. it or they might borrow the book. It's just, it just creates like a bit of a, a culture around books. Um, simple one as well, just asking children, what are you reading? What are you reading? But just like in a really enthusiastic way, like I always ask children, just random children around the school, oh, what are you reading at the moment? And sometimes they, they're not reading something at the moment or they're not enthusiastic about it, but it just create it opens up that dialogue about books. And I think that, I like I, that. I think yeah. that's cool if books can and be. It's almost thing. like the assumptive sale on it. It's that well, I assume you're reading yeah. something. So what are you reading? Yeah, I think that's yeah, a good. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. And then maybe next time they'll have an answer if they're not yeah. sure this time. I, I, I don't like know. that just, one. That's a good one. I like doing.
So um, another one, create an excitement around your own bookshelf. So I've got like I'm very fortunate enough to very fortunate to have like a really good collection of books at home. Um, some like you know, I've been sent, some I've bought. I often share my collection at home. I, I share loads of books with my school bookshelf, but I share photos of like my book collection at home with children. Um, and I really like that idea of um, creating an excitement around building a bookshelf. So starting with a few books and rebuilding really that collection. And it's amazing my class, how many children have like, bought in photos of their growing bookshelves at home and their, their I've had parents of children in my class come to me and say, um, Oh, it's all your fault. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> They're like, Oh, he's made me go out, put a shelf up in his room or go and buy a little bookcase and that sort of thing. And I think if children can sort of see, you know, see building their own collection of bookshelves or of books as like almost like a challenge, it is, I just think that's lovely. And I think that um, yeah, it's really seeing lovely. parents, what, you know, I've had children in my class, uh, parents even a few weeks ago and parents are saying, Oh, um, a couple of children, this is just a couple of them, and they were like, um, my child's asked me nuts if I cannot have Easter eggs this year, but they could have, like, books instead. And, like, <laughs> uh, for me, that's, like, such a proud moment. Because I think you're making, like, you're getting through to them. If they're doing that, that's just cool. That's really good, I think. Um, two more things. Uh, talking about the aesthetics of books. So this all links to books being something that are, um, are trendy and, like, uh, you know, how does the book feel? Like, what's the texture of the cover like? Why do you like it? What do you like about the title? How does a new book smell? Just just getting children thinking about all different aspects of books because, again, that can be a way in for some children. They yeah. might really want to try a book that has, um, you know, like a sprayed edge cover or has the, um, the title sort of embossed in, you know, font that raises off the page or just different things to try yeah. and just find ways in for different readers and I think it's important. Publishers, publishers are doing an awful lot of that at the moment aren't they in terms of making their books yeah. stand out and I think it's really exciting and it's a really good point to, to be talking about I think definitely. Yeah. Well, I think it really is. I, I understand that spraying the edge of books is like hugely um, impactful in terms of reducing the profit margin on a book but I think it is really good to sort of, in terms of like standing out from the crowd and catching an eye, like I think those books are fantastic. And I think they're trying to compete, aren't they, with like digital book sales and stuff. Yeah. So to make the physical books um, appealing, they're going to have to try things like that, I think. Um, the last one I said, it's very simple and lots of people do it, is just create some bookmarks with your class. I do this probably uh, once every half term. Um, just, it's just the idea of like a bookmark, um, your own bookmark. Um, the, watching that bookmark go on its journey through the book like it's good oh is it halfway through your book is it the whole way through and just like I often say like Easter presents to my class I just simple thing but I just made a little Easter poem and um, laminated it and had their in the form of a bookmark and laminated it and gave it out and it's just I think as many little gifts and presents and prizes like just keeping those all book themed I think is really really effective to have that whole culture of reading in your class yeah i think that's great and it's it's such a, a brilliant list that you've shared and you can you can find that um david's on twitter at mr underscore k underscore teacher is that right that's the one thank you that's the one no that's great and you can find a lot a lot of your stuff there david is is wonderful and you use the the hashtag why i love reading why i love teaching um yeah where did that come from where did the hashtag because a lot of people uh, use them now was that yourself or has that been no well, to my knowledge it was myself yeah i um so I, i've been doing this why i love hashtag why i love teaching for quite a while um essentially i think i 
I am just quite upbeat about the profession, I guess. Really? Um, I, I thought on Twitter there's a lot of positive stuff, but it does sometimes go through periods of people just ranting and moaning yes, about um, it does. the system and how it used to be better and stuff. And I, I just thought it'd be cool to have a um, an opportunity for people to purely focus on things that are great about it. Yeah. So every Sunday, um, I try and I sort of try and get the hashtag why I love teaching going, asking people what are you most looking forward to at school in the following week, um, and it's amazing. Like sometimes you get hundreds of different people um, just sort of mentioning what they're looking forward to at school, whether it's a trip, whether it's some sort of training they're going on, whether it's a class assembly, a particular lesson. I think it's just lovely to have that sort of positive momentum around teaching yeah. because I think sometimes it's easy to forget how great it is. On the back of that, more recently, I've done a hashtag why I love reading. Um, for me, that's much the same, just celebrating children's literature um, and just giving a little focus around, um, you know, why, why children's literature is so great and why it's so important to use it in schools. Yeah, I think it's great. So that was hashtag why I love reading, hashtag why I love teaching. And the why I love teaching, that's on a Sunday where you're sort of looking forward to the week and and something that you're excited about. I think that's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the we, reading one's a bit more general, to be honest. We just sort of, people tend to share what they're reading at the time and any particular sort of no, things think, they've done in class that I are book-related. But that, that one's sort of in its infancy, I'd say. That's great. Well, there's a, there's a similar thing. Um, I, I think it's now kind of further than Scotland, but it was started in Scotland. Sure. It was Pe Pedigree Friday, uh, and it's the yes. same thing on a Friday where they kind of look back. But I, th I love these sort of positive messages where, where people are thinking, here's what I love about the job, what I love about everything that I'm doing. And there is so much to love about the job. And it, it, you're right, you can get sort of stuck in the monotony at times but actually when you take a step back and say actually this is an incredible job so yeah good on you well done i think that's a, it's a really oh, good no, pleasure thing to pleasure do. and i mean you're you're kind of very active online um you've got a kind of massive twitter following lots of people following the hashtag using the hashtag can you just talk to us a little bit about that i mean is that does that come from your history in terms of you've been in marketing and things like that or was it my, just... my twitter following well no just in terms of how 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 come you're so is there any tips for us out there in terms of i don't, I don't know to be honest i think um I, i'm quite surprised with how my um twitter following has grown i mean this actual this teacher twitter account i've had for about 18 months um it has grown very quickly i guess in terms of things i conscious generally like when i tweet it's just me like just being yeah. myself um things like there's certain things i would consciously um think about so i think if you're trying to have a a recognizable twitter or wanted to grow your twitter following i guess having a a catchy Twitter handle like my Mr. K teacher is quite memorable. I guess people yeah. naturally associate me with that. And when I've gone to conferences and stuff, people would be like calling you Mr. K and stuff like that. So I think that doesn't hurt. I think generally branding things quite slickly is nice. So um, if you're putting up pictures of books or pictures of things, just trying to present them in a way which does look sort of slightly professional, professional and eye catching yeah. doesn't hurt. Um, I guess a bit of work on Adobe Spark for Twitter banners and headers and stuff like that is quite nice. But yeah. um, no, lots of activity. Um, look, getting involved in conversations is always the big one. There's obviously people on Twitter with big followings and certainly people with larger followings than myself. But 
interacting with people like that is very, very valuable. And it certainly isn't all about the, the follow numbers. There's people with many less followers than me that probably have way more relevant stuff to say. But being busy, being active and just getting involved in conversations that interest you, I think, is is great, to be honest. That's great. Yeah. And some, some really good tips there. Thanks for that. And I think I think you've, you've hit, hit, hit the nail on the head with that in terms of it's not just about growing numbers it's actually certainly for a a lot of people or a lot of people that you want to engage in conversations with you can tell that there's that genuine positivity that enthusiasm that want to increase the scope of their impact as it were you know and just talk to more people i think so Uh, yeah i I definitely think so and um at first, yeah, I know I totally agree with you. Like at first, there'd have been periods where like it was quite exciting to get like a thousand followers. I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. And there's times where that you know that it's growing, and I think that seemed really cool. But you get to a point where it actually doesn't matter if you have nine thousand, ten thousand, eleven thousand. Like I think being involved in interesting conversations and provide it, trying to provide like good quality in what you're saying as well, I think is just really important. So. Excellent, brilliant. Yeah, well. Keep doing what you're doing because it's wonderful. And it's, a, it's a really good Twitter account to follow, I would say, to our listeners. Oh, no, thanks, right. um, so uh, just to, to round things up, I suppose, uh, and sure. I, I couldn't have you on the show without asking for just your recommendations of books. Uh, you can do it in a kind of your favourite books or you could do it yeah. in books that you're interested in. Just if you give us some things to be looking forward to or that we could go and read that have been out for ages. What, what are you, what's sure. your favourite? So um, maybe I'll do one for each sort of... Um, Key stage of a year group. Oh, I like it. Off the top of my head. Um, my very favourite book of all is um, not a Key Stage 2 book, but probably like lower Key Stage 3 is A Monster Calls uh, by oh, Patrick yeah. Ness. I don't know if that's one you've read, but it's well worth reading if you, um, if you haven't. So that was written by Siobhan Dowd, who's the lady that wrote The London Eye Mystery. Uh, Siobhan Dowd sadly died um, shortly after writing the London Eye Mystery, um, oh, no. she had penned the ideas for A Monster Called, but had never, she didn't live long enough to write the book. Um, Patrick Ness is a very credible author in his own right, but he was um, he was asked if she he would ha- you know be happy to take her ideas forward and write that book. He oh, reluctantly, wow. sorry, he disagreed, uh, well, refused at first. He didn't think he could do it justice, but <laughs> um, he said he couldn't stop thinking about the ideas and how he'd link them to some of his, his thoughts and ended up writing that. And I've never been moved or raced through a book in the same way as that. That's truly awesome. Oh, wow. Um, fantastic book. And there's lots of, the book is essentially about a boy dealing with his mother who is dying of cancer. Oh, my um, there's, when you know that backstory about Siobhan Dowd, it's such a powerful read. Oh, um, wow. A recent book I've read, which I'd say is a very good book for Upper Key Stage 2, um, it's a massive book, it's about 500 pages, but it reads a lot quicker, is A Murderer's Ape. Um, that book, a few people will be turned off because it's about 500 pages, but it is just fantastic. The the imagery, the, the journey the book takes you on is fantastic. It was a a book that was originally written in Swedish, I believe, and has been translated. Um, it's hard to explain exactly what it's about, but check that one out. That's amazing. What's it called again, um, sorry? A Murderer's Ape. It's all about this. I'll, I'll give you a very brief one. It's about this ape, basically, who is able to communicate with humans. The ape has been on a... Um, the ape has got the best mate, who is like the captain of a ship. Um, the captain's wrongly um, imprisoned, and the ape goes on this journey, which takes her to... Uh, Portugal, India, loads of different places to sort of try and free her captured 
best mate who's the captain oh, sounds wow. really weird but it is just an amazing book oh, written from like the first half perspective of this ape is incredible <laughs> um other books and other authors i'd give a massive shout out to i love the work of stuart foster stuart foster writes in a slightly different style so he's written the bubble boy he's written all the things that could go wrong he's recently written checkmate um which is soon to be released um he combines like serious themes of like mental health um or illness or suffering but with some unbelievably dry wit and humor um he's a really good author to to watch out for i love the work of lisa thompson i think in a similar way to stuart foster she kind of hides serious serious messages which i think are so important for children to be exposed to but she hides them in such a clever way amongst like enthralling storytelling so she's great vashti hardy who i'm actually lucky enough to be podcasting with tomorrow morning oh, wow. um, she wrote a bright storm um and she's recently released a book called Wild Spark, or is soon to be released, Wild Spark. Bright Storm, I mentioned earlier, there's, um, I've recently, you know, in the last year or so, I've tried to sort of push myself to read different genres. And Bright Storm was the first book that was really like well outside of my comfort zone, not the sort of book I would typically read. And it was just amazing. And I think that was a, a sort of turning point for me in terms of reading. Um, children's literature and different types of children's literature and the one other book i'll give a little shout out to is called a pumpkin project by katie smith now katie smith if you check her out on twitter she's undergoing some of her own sort of um, uh, sort of health issues at the moment um she's an absolutely lovely lady brilliant little book that it doesn't get the credit it perhaps deserves in terms of like widespread exposure but i've read that of my class i've um, shared it with other classes in my school and I think that's one to shout about. I'll definitely be doing that with my class again next year. So that's a pumpkin project, uh, Casey Smith, or the pumpkin project. Excellent. What what a great list. And immediately <laughs> I now have to go and spend all my Audible credits. <laughs> you really do. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. Uh, I've just read The Explorer. Um, is it Catherine? Catherine Rondel. Rondel. Well, that is a good book, oh, isn't it? That's just an incredible book. And I just That's got... another one. Um, it looks like it would take a lot longer to read, but it's quite a page turner, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And actually I felt that the language in it was so beautiful and poetic. Like the way that yeah. for a... For a children's novel to spend so much time on that sort of figurative language i thought was just just amazing um i just finished reading the boy at the back of the class very good book oh. yeah that, what do you think of that you i i loved that i I, yeah. I was crying i was laughing it was really it's good. a really good book isn't it oh just a fantastic book i'm reading uh, do you know it's funny the, the, the amount of boys in the title is bizarre so i'm i'm reading honestly i agree with you like i often write like booklets and they all say boy like yeah. so many say boy and i feel quite guilty putting all of those up it's like where are the ones that say girl but... yeah it's bizarre so the the boy who flew is what i'm currently in the middle of which is just that was the primary school book club book of the month it wasn't it on twitter so. yeah so that's why i'm reading that one just so i can join that chat at the end of the month uh, and then the <laughs> next one so it's three boys in a row the next one is the thousand year old boy that's the next one that i want oh to read. i read that recently that's a very good book that's a very good one yeah but I don't, I don't, it's, it's a I, weird book but it's very ross welford's writing is clever like he's got a very different sort of style Oh wow! Well, I'm 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 very much looking forward to that. But um, uh, yeah, I'm just sort of. He always puts like a Geordie vibe on his books. You'll oh. notice that when you read it. Oh wow! Well, I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Vibe. Yeah. Good, good stuff. 
Excellent, David. Well, I'm, I'm very conscious of your time and I don't want to take up all of your Friday evening. So just thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to speak to you and um, to, to have you given us lots of recommendations, lots of tips. I would really recommend following David on Twitter. Um, I'll put all this up in the show notes and all of David's recommendations as well. But just thanks again. It's been a pleasure. No, thank you so much. It's been really enjoyable to chat and anything we can do to keep sharing the message of reading, let's keep going for it because it's so important. Indeed. Thanks, David, for that excellent interview. It was wonderful to have you as part of the show. I think what I really enjoyed about that interview and what came across in spades is David's passion and his enthusiasm for for reading and for children's literature and I think the children in his school and the children that he's modelling that for will get so much from him and he, he suggested so many great ideas for how we can all encourage children to read more so uh, thanks again for that, that was brilliant. Okay, now it's time for us to move on to We Recommend. So this time we're going to ask you Jude, what do you recommend for our listeners? What I recommend, this actually came from, um, Mark Priestley had um, sent us on, uh, for, for one of our Edge Brother live chats, he had posted on Twitter uh, some pre-reading for one of our Edge of Leather live chats, and it was a really good um, blog uh, post that had been written, and it's a really... That was on empowerment and agency, teacher agency. I think it was on teacher agency, but the topic of our Edubather live chat was empowerment. Yeah, and the and the um, the link they had sent us to was for, from an article that was written on the Better blog. The, okay, what's Better? The British Educational Research Association. Okay. Education Research Association. B-E-R-A. So there's a there's a Better journal uh, but and the, the the work that the association do but there's a, a blog that goes along with that and it's more sort of um quick to consume articles like bite size yeah. articles but but what's brilliant about them is that they are all grounded within research mm-hmm. they're all from people who have conducted the research or who have gone through a process either writing a book or mm-hmm. or, or doing research at the moment and it's just a, I find it a really great way to engage with research and how that's impacting on practice at the moment and because each of the articles are are, are really short they're about 500 words but it just gives you a good sort of flavor of things that you get a a nice sort of entryway into Mm -hmm. finding out so tell me some of the things you've read so you mentioned there the teacher agency and obviously i read that and from mark so thanks mark um what other key things have you come across that you really enjoyed i read a really really great article and I can post a link to it on Twitter because um, I'm remiss just now, I can't remember the, the author's name of okay. the article, but it was That's a fantastic funny. article about um, how to become a learning school, and it was about about professional learning, professional mm-hmm. development, and, and, and the author of this was, was suggesting that actually within a school, teachers should be learning more, if not the same, as the learners are mm-hmm. learning. And it should be a learning school where we're constantly developing and learning. And it, it sort of outlined the research behind that and outlined the reasons why. It was a great article. There was another article about um, data and how, actually, if we're using an aggregate model to to, to understand data, whereby we're using a different cohort to, to measure progress, the problems that we have with that. And mm-hmm. it was it was just really interesting because it gives you that 
immediate sort of, oh, that's a really interesting idea. That's something that I can relate to. I understand that. And here's the kind of further reading that I should... So it's that kind of surface, not surface level, and I'm not meaning to demean that, but it's that snapshot at a glance that you can read about something, but it's in more detail and it's got that credibility because it's grounded in research. Exactly. Um, So it sounds quite appealing. What's the web address? So the web address for that is... If you, if you Google better blog, basically, okay. it comes up that way. So it's, That's the easiest way to find it. That's the easiest way to find it. And so, we'll put a, a, a link on our uh, Twitter account as well. Yeah. Uh, just and so you can I, find it. I, what I really like about it as well is the way that it filters the content. So you can, have, you can search by policy, you can search by early years and primary ideas, you okay. can do higher education, research methodology, secondary. I think it's, it's just a really nice way to go on for a... For, a, for an overview of things. Yeah. And if you've just got a spare half hour and you're not wanting to... Not that there's... I have a problem with this, but sometimes social social media channels are, are, are clogged up with things that actually half hour might be best spent with something a bit more robust and a bit more rigorous. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for that extra bit of rigour, this is an excellent place to look Super. for. Super. So Google the Better blog. B-E-R-A blog. Perfect. Thank you. We just wanted to take this opportunity to discuss a few other exciting developments with Edu Blether. Absolutely, it's been it's been wild over the last couple of months, isn't it? In terms of the developments, it's quite exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah, lots of exciting things that are happening. Lots more exciting people wanting to be involved in the show. One of the ways that we're going to be involving more voices in the Edgy Blether mm-hmm. is um, the eagle eye amongst you will have been able to see on our website. There's a new tab on the website, and the tab is an Edgy Blether with. If you click on that new section on the website, you'll see. Um, it's, it's a place for us to share where we've had professional dialogue and edge of leather with someone, where we've interviewed mm-hmm. someone who inspires us, someone who we think is great, and we're wanting to share an interview with mm-hmm. them, basically. So there's an interview up there with a fantastically funny poet, Joshua Siegel. Um, we've got some more interviews coming very soon. We've got an interview with Ian Eagleton, who is the mind behind the reading realm. Mm. Um, he's got a very exciting app coming up uh, and a, an excellent website to check out as well. I would, I would thoroughly recommend checking out the reading realm. Um, we've got interview also coming up with the Vocabulary Ninja. I'm really excited about that one. He's got a great book that's just come out and the interview goes into lots of details about his new book and why he loves teaching vocabulary so much. We've also got an interview with Dr Emma Kell who wrote How to Survive in Teaching, another fantastic book. Uh, we've also got Hal Roberts coming up as well who wow. is... Yeah. Funniest man in teaching. He's wonderful, and he's just—he's incredible. Have you, have you heard Hill speak? Yeah, before? I have. I have. He's great. So he an interview uh, or an edgy blather with yeah. with Hill Roberts will be appearing on the website in the next few weeks as well. So really excited about that. that yeah, that new part of the website. So we're working hard. Yeah. <laughs> so let let us know what you think. Though. Yeah. And we're also um, really pleased with the engagement with Edgy Blether Live on Twitter every Tuesday evening from 8 until 9pm. Uh, this coming week, 
So hopefully it's uh, published in time, no pressure. Um, on the 7th of May, we're talking about learner participation. So how can young people be involved in leading their own learning and also contributing towards school improvement? Then the week after that, on the 14th of May, we're talking about outdoor learning. Uh, the week after that, Early Years Ideas is hosting an Edublether on play. So a wide variety of topics. And then on the 28th of May, we have Susie M. Dick hosting an Edublether on rural education. And Susie was really keen to look at that unique perspective of rural educators in Scotland and what are the what are the opportunities but also what are the challenges that they face. So I hope that you're able to contribute, listen in. Um, we hear about a lot of people, a lot of our colleagues are saying, loving the Edubleather Live. We just want you to engage as much as you want. Like things, retweet and comment if you feel confident yeah. enough to do that. And also if you would like to host an Edubleather Live then we would love to hear from you. Just contact us and we can send you the graphics to put your four questions on and we'll support you as much as we can. Yeah, and we're not stopping there, there's more. And hopefully this is not like Icarus who flew too close to the sun, <laughs> but uh, we are going to be covering our first live conference. Do you want to tell us a little yeah. bit about that? So the first thing we're going to be hosting is the Selmus 19 Forum. So Selmus is the Scottish Educational Leadership, Management and Administration Society. Uh, if you're not sure what its work is all about, Google it and have a look at their website and also follow them on Twitter at Selmus. And the, the A in Selmus is actually a four. Um, so their annual forum takes place on Thursday the 16th of May uh, from 5.30 till 9 o'clock at St George's School in Edinburgh. It's a ticketed event and unfortunately it's sold out, but we're providing you with that unique opportunity to listen in to the keynote speakers. Uh, so they are uh, Nancy Clooney, who's head teacher at Dalmarnock Primary School, um, Claire Lavelle, who is the chief executive leader of the Hive of Wellbeing and leads professional learning on how to look after yourself, how to promote that kind of culture within your um, school setting and with your staff and pupils. And Neil McMillan, who is the Director of Community Provision at Kibble. So a fantastic evening, really quite excited um, for that. And also all the discussion and dialogue that comes with that with colleagues across Scotland who are going along to that. So we will bring that to you um, in a, a very special episode that you'll be able to listen to all the keynote speakers and hopefully the Q&A session thereafter. Brilliant. So remember, you can follow us at Edublether on Twitter, check out our website, which has loads more content, as we've just talked about, edublether.wordpress.com. Also, if we've not got on, on about it enough, <laughs> please join us for our EduBlether live chats every Tuesday from 8 till 9pm. So thanks so much for your support and keep those EduBlethers going. And a wee special shout out to our super fans out there, <laughs> the Bletherers, I believe they're called. Um, and please rate us on your favourite podcasting app because it all really helps. 
very much and